Thank you, Ken. Thanks, worship team. Morning, church. It's good to see you all. If you're joining us online, we're, we're missing out on getting to see you, but glad you're joining us. Uh, if you're visiting us, especially honored to have you here with us today. Um, we worship a God who treats every story as sacred. And so the fact that you're here sharing your life and a piece of your story with us today, we consider that an honor. Um, that when God tells the story of your life or the story of my life, at least for this moment, like, like we're together. And so we, we consider it an honor that you would share a piece of your life with us. Um, and our hope for, for you today um, as we open God's word is that God would speak to you in a powerful way. God would meet you in an intimate way exactly where you are and do a powerful work in you as he does a powerful work in us. And we're going to be talking a lot about that today, how God is working individually in our lives, but also doing a collective work in us as the church. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, if you're visiting with us, you don't own a Bible, and we put Bibles under the seats around you, and that we just want you to have a copy of God's Word. So if that's you, that's a free gift to you. Take that with you. Um, security will not tackle you and try to take it back. That's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Um, a lot of exciting things are happening this summer. Um, it, typically in church life, we, we expect things to slow down in the summer, uh, but God hasn't slowed down at all. And we're seeing that with baptisms and people coming to know Christ for the first time and just healing happening and in different situations. And so I want to give God glory for that. Like God is working powerfully in our church and you can, you can give him an applause if you feel like that's appropriate. Um, something exciting coming up in just a couple weeks I just want to call special attention to and that's our fall kickoff. Um, that's on Friday. It's going to be on the 19th, so a week from this Friday. Just want to invite the whole family out. It's going to be evening for the whole family. Uh, we're going to get together and share a meal together, and it'll be good food. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure Nick's cooking up something sweet. Yes, he says. And so just want you to come with your whole family. We're going to share uh, a time of eating together, and then our kiddos are going to have a special time. Our students are going to have a special time. Adults will have a special time, and then we'll get back together for some dessert at the end of the night. But go ahead and mark your calendar if you didn't catch the video announcement for the 19th. 6.30 here at the church. This will be our fall kickoff night. It'll be a great time. All right, so we're in um, Ephesians 4. We've got chapter 4, 5, and 6 left. And then after that, this fall, we're going to do a series about worship. And the title of the series is Worship Is. And then each week when we get together, we're going to fill in the blank. And the hope in that is that you and I would be able to see how worship is so much more than the songs that we sing. It's even more than what we do in this room. I mean, it's been a, a fantastic morning of worship already. We've worshiped through fellowship, checking in on one another, caring for one another. We've, wor we've worshiped through prayer. We've worshiped through singing. We've worshiped through communion. We're worshiping now through opening God's word. But what we want to do in this next series is we're going to see how really worship encompasses all of life. How do you worship God in your parenting? How do you worship God in your job? How do you worship God, even your hobbies? And so that's where we're going next after we finish up in Ephesians. So this week is um, really going to be a connected uh, to last week in a really important way. And then, and then I'll talk for a minute about how it's going to be connected to next week, okay? So just if you didn't, weren't here for last week, uh, Blake preached the first part of, of chapter four, did a great job. And one of the things he said that is, because we have this unity in Christ, we should be more eager to look for reasons to be united, right, than we are to look for reasons to divide. We, 
We're operating in a society right now that tends to say, hey, go look for, there's just got to be some reasons why we don't like each other, right? And so just look for any reason to divide. But what we're learning that in Christ and the church is that there are a multitude of reasons why we should be united. And, uh, and so out of that, then, what we're going to talk about this week and next week is what God has given to the church to help us maintain that unity that we already have. You know, one of the confusing things about church life, um, if you've, like, visited different churches, especially in, like, different cities or regions or maybe even different countries, is that we can, you can get the false idea that, that God doesn't really give any instructions for the church. It's kind of just a free-for-all because it's so different in so many different places. And now God has given like contextual interpretation for us. Like it's not supposed to look exactly the same in Fort Worth um, as it looks in Russia or as it looks in the Philippines or in South America. But there are some things that God prescribes and says, I want every church to have these things in common, regardless of the culture and the language, big or small, casual, formal, that these are the things that you should have in common. And so today what we're stepping into is, is not just what we've been given in terms of gifts for maintaining our unity, but God's going to describe how he wants the church to function and work. He's going to give us some indication of what things are going to look like. So we're going to start in verse 7 together. Ephesians 4 verse 7 says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So I want you to think of today, our time together, is really part one. And next week, we're going to come back and do part two. Part one, we're going to talk today a lot about leadership in the church. What does it mean to be a leader, to lead out? Next week, we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about what it means just in general for every believer to serve. But what we just read right here really is applicable to all of us. Whether you've been a Christian for like 10 minutes or 80 years, what verse 7 says is this. But grace was given to each one of us. So before we talk about giftings and different ways to serve and some are called to lead, and before we get to any of that, right, kind of a, before we get to any of that, what Paul's saying is like every believer has been gifted to serve like if you don't believe that then you're going to have a hard time with everything else that he says so if you're here today and you would consider yourself a christian you've entrusted your life to christ you've let go of your trust in earthly things and taken hold of jesus as your savior you say i'm i'm, I'm all in here Whatever he has to offer, that's what I want. If you're a Christian, then what Paul is saying is, well, here's, here's what you need to know. Every Christian has been entrusted with a gift of grace. Now, as we walk through this, what we're going to talk about today is, what does this look like? What does this mean? So, at the end of the sermon last week, Blake was reading in verses like 5 and 6, about our unity. And I just want to revisit those couple of verses for a second. What he says is this in verse 4, there is one body talking about the church. Well, okay. There is one spirit talking about the Holy Spirit who empowers the church and works in the church. And so 
what Paul's talking about here is not solid rock. He's talking about the church as a whole. So as we gather this morning, there are believers gathering in other locations and different sizes, and the chairs look different, and the, they pick different songs, and the pastors dress different. They're looking at a different text this morning, and there are some Christians right now who are asleep because it's not even Sunday yet, and some places they're, they're asleep because they already had Sunday. But this oneness of the church is like all churches. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Now listen to the wording. Who is over all and through all and in all. And so as that applies to the church universal, what Paul is saying is that what, what stitches us together with believers in the Philippines and in Moscow and Rio de Janeiro and Mexico City and Canada. What's stitching us together is there's one Father over all, through all, and in all. Now that's really important because that same thing, that same concept is going to then be applied to the local church. What unites us is not that we all look the same, or talk the same, or come from the same places, what unites us is that we have one Father who is over all, and through all, and in all, stitching our lives together. Here's another way I'll say it. Whatever God is up to in your life is what he's up to in my life. Whatever God is up to in this person over here, he's also up to in your life. There is an individual personal work that God wants to do in your life right now. And some of you are like, I know exactly what it is. Like, it's, I've been in it. And some of you are like, I don't know what that is, but I'm really curious about what that is. So there's a personal work that Christ is doing in you. But there's a collective work that he's doing in all of us. Whatever he's up to in you is what he's up to in me. And this is where our unity comes from. We have one God, one Father. And he's not calling you to do something that's going to conflict with what he's calling me to do. It may be different, but they will complement one another. It's so important. One Father who is over all, through all, and in all. Now, Paul describes his own calling to ministry in a way that I think is helpful. And I just want to back up for a minute and just pay attention to how Paul describes how Jesus called him to get involved in church. Okay, so Paul, if you don't know his story, he was actually like the leading terrorist, and I'm not exaggerating that, against the church. That was his role in society. He had written permission from authority to kill Christians. So he wasn't just like, you know, the back row Baptist or sitting on the sidelines, just kind of disengaged, I'm kind of watching, kicking the tires. He was working against the church, Jesus radically saves him and calls him into ministry. So I want to I hear him describe what that was like. And here's how he describes it in Ephesians. If we go back to chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul would see his ministry not as something that he deserved or earned, but that it was a gift of grace. So it was like Jesus said, hey, Paul, I'm trusting you with this. He handed him something. 
And we're going to talk more specifically about what's, what he handed him. But he, Jesus handed him a gift and said, now, Paul, steward this well because it's for all of them. And that's how Paul viewed his calling. A few verses later, he says it this way in verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. I love that. Paul didn't apply for the job. He didn't put his resume together, right? It wasn't like Paul was like going to Peter and like, hey, can you let me know um, where I can find Jesus? I've heard about the stuff he's doing. And I think I'd be really good for his team. Like, I think he might want me on his team. And like, I've got experience. And like, I know the Hebrew scriptures. Like, I hear that that's a big deal to him. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty proficient in Hebrew. And I think I got a lot to offer. No, that's not how it worked. Jesus made him a minister. Jesus called him to ministry, right? Beyond what skills he had and what he deserved and beyond what was on his resume, right? It was a gift. And he says, like, Jesus made me a minister according to what? The gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Any, any confusion about how Paul saw this as a great gift and privilege? Like he's like, this is beyond me. He worked this out in me, his power in me, his calling in my life. And I love this language because see, here's what Paul is doing. He's saying, listen, I can't separate my calling from my salvation. I can't separate the gifts that God has given me from Jesus forgiving me of my sins. It's just all a gift of grace. And what's unique, if you'll go back and read Paul's story, uh, you can find this in Acts 8 and 9. So if you want to go read the details, it's, it's, it's counted for there. But here's what you're going to read. Paul was in the first part of chapter 8, was given um, authorization to stone and kill Stephen, a Christian. And then by the time you get to enter chapter 9, Paul is radically saved and called to ministry. But what's unique about that is that calling to salvation was his calling to ministry. It wasn't in stages. It wasn't step one, become a Christian, Paul. And if this works out, I'll let you go to step two. Let's just, I just want to see how you're going to do with this. I'm going to see how you're going to handle this language. And I'm going to make sure you play nice. And if that goes well, i got big plans for you. From the moment... Paul was saved. He was called. Like, go read it. It's clear. And far too often, we kind of break up our Christian journey into pieces and stages. Like, step one, I'm called into salvation. Whoo, that was a gift of God's grace. And maybe 10 years later, God will call me to get involved and start attending church. And like, okay, yeah. And then it's like, well, oh, man, I kind of feel like a stirring to volunteer and help out around here. Ooh, that's a calling. Sometimes the way we talk about calling is confusing. It's like, hey, you're on the team, but we don't have a position for you yet. So here's your jersey. Here's all your gear. Sit over there on the sidelines, and we'll let you know if we can find a spot to get you in. We'll let you know if you get the calling. Like, that was really confusing to me as a young Christian. Early on, I felt a stirring and a calling and an inclination to lean into ministry and get involved. And some of those spiritual mentors for me were like, hey, but have you heard the calling? I'm like, is he going to call on my phone? What do you mean? Is this a letter in the mail? 
So I would go to the Bible, like, did I pe- write my name down? Is it like, how do I know? I have this stirring, but what's a calling? I just love how Paul describes it. He's like, no. From the moment I was saved, I was called. That doesn't mean it's all super clear, and it doesn't mean that you're ready, but it means the calling is there. I hope that helps some of you. Like, I became a Christian, and immediately I wanted to lean into this church thing. I wanted to get involved. I didn't have the skills or the experience or the knowledge to do it, but something in me wanted to lean into this thing called church. That's your calling. What Jesus has done in your life, he wants to do through your life. That gift of grace has been handed to you to steward. Peter will say it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift. Pretty clear wording, isn't it? Sounds pretty clear, very similar to what Paul said. Each has received a gift of grace. Peter's saying, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Two different biblical authors. You see how whatever God was up to in Paul, he was also up to in Peter? We don't get any indication that they compared notes and laid their letters next to each other to make sure they were on the same page. Holy Spirit is inspiring these guys to sit down and write. And whatever the Holy Spirit is up to in in Peter, he's up to in Paul. So Peter says the same thing. Hey, church. You've all been given this gift of grace and and it's beyond just your salvation. It's this gift to serve one another. So steward that well. Now what's going to happen next in verse 8, Paul is going to refer to um, Psalm 68. And this can be confusing for some people. He's going to almost direct quote verse 18, but it's not exact. Because what it seems like in context, when he explains it, he's actually referring to the whole Psalm 68. He's just pulling out verse 18 to draw us back to Psalm 68. And what you'll find in Psalm 68 is this this kind of this description of a victorious warrior, maybe the general of an army or the king of a country. Whenever that king rises victorious at the end of battle, it is expected that he or she would give good gifts to everybody who has identified with him or her. That's expected. It's called the spoils of war, right? So you would expect, if I'm in, if I'm loyal to you, your victory becomes my victory, and one of the tangible expressions of that is you're going to give me some good gifts. That's what the psalm is about. But look at how Paul is applying it. He says in verse 8, Therefore it says... This is again quoting Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. That's the victorious warrior. He arose victorious. His enemies have been captured and he's going to give gifts to men. Verse 9, he begins to explain. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Here's what's really important. You can get lost in the weeds here, but we get this descended, ascended language. 
Some would say this is speaking of Christ leaving his throne of glory and descending to earth to be born as a human. And that his ascending would be the point where he ascends back to his rightful place on his throne at the right hand of the Father. There's going to be some who would say, no, it seems more like this is a descended into the grave part of what Paul's talking about. Like Jesus descends into the grave and then he ascends out of the grave. And so this is more about death, burial, and resurrection. And I would propose to you, I think it's fine for Paul to have all that on his mind. Point that, that Jesus would descend to earth to take on human form, die a sacrificial death, and be buried to ascend, to resurrect, and, and eventually ascend back to his rightful place because there's two points he's making. He's referring to that power of Christ that, who descended but then also resurrected and ascended. And then what he's gonna explain is that, that Jesus victoriously rising from the grave and ascending back to his rightful place, he's gonna give good gifts. That's the point. That's why we're quoting Psalm 68 here. You see, you see what I'm talking about with this? The point isn't that we get tripped up. It's just like we, we see Jesus as this victorious leader who's willing to sacrificially descend into the trenches of the battle for us and then out of his victory, out of his ascension, he's gonna give good gifts to those who identify with him. That's the point. And then now what's gonna happen is from here, Paul's gonna say, hey, that's how you need to understand your calling. The difference is he's not giving us gold and silver and land. What he's giving you essentially is himself and he's giving you a calling. That's the good gift. That's the spoils of the victory of Christ is that he's giving you this gift of grace to steward. And that grace includes your salvation, your spiritual gifting, your calling into ministry. It's all one calling and one gift earlier on in, in Ephesians 1 Paul's praying and he's using some of the same language and I just want to read without explaining it I just want you to hear Paul's prayer for us with these things in mind Paul's writing down a prayer for you I'll pick this up in verse 19. What he's already prayed for is that you and I are, are kind of our eyes would be open we would come to this greater knowledge of the power of God in our lives. We've come to a greater knowledge of the Holy Spirit working in us. And then in verse 19, he says, and I want you to come to this knowledge of what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. It took a lot of power to save you. I can't even quantify it. It took a lot of power to take somebody like me with my brokenness, my woundedness, my sinfulness, the story where I come from. It took a lot of power to, to rescue that little boy and bring him into the life that I live right now. And it took a lot of power to do that in your life. It's not flipping, it's not small. It's important to think that way so that we understand there's nowhere else you could have gone to get that. There wasn't another option. There's no other source of power that is enough power to even open your eyes to see Jesus and want him to save you. 
And what's being described here is that we would, we would begin to grasp this immeasurable, the, the measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might. And guess what? That same power is what we saw displayed in Christ, verse 20, that he worked in Christ. Same power was worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. There's that ascension piece. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and over every name that is named. Not only is this in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body. Now listen to this. The fullness of him who fills all and in all. Remember where, what weaves us together? It's God who is over all and through all and in all. Here's that language again, in all and filling all. And then it comes up again at the end, in, back in chapter 4, at the end of verse 10, that he might fill all things. So one, when you hear that wording, I want you to think about our unity. He didn't just fill you up. He filled all of us up. He pulled all of us together. The same God who's at work in you is at work in me. But there's also this component of filling up what is lacking. This is really important. The indication that you have been called to God is that you are being called to do something you can't do in your own strength. Okay, we're going to talk in a minute about how to know that you're in the wrong spot. But one of the ways you would know you're in the right spot with God is that you've been called and you're leaning forward into something. You're like, man, unless there's another power source, I can't pull that off. God's going to have to fill up in me what is lacking to pull off the thing he's called me to. Now, that does not mean that everything that's impossible for you is what you're called to. It just means that as God works in you, he gifts you, he calls you, you're going to need him. If you could do it in your own strength, it's not your calling. You're just operating out of what God's created you to do, which is beautiful too. But what's being talked about here is Paul saying, like, no, this thing was bigger than me. Whew. God's grace. It took a lot of power. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. And as Jesus rises victoriously from death and ascends victoriously back to heaven, he's giving good gifts to us. And this gift is your salvation and your calling. So when I go back and I read Ephesians 4, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I begin, it begins to make more sense to me. Now what's going to happen, and this is where we're going to spend the majority of the rest of our time this morning, is Paul's going to begin to describe these gifts that have been given by the victorious leader. And here's what's super cool. As I mentioned before, they aren't tangible gifts. Well, they are tangible, but they're not tangible in the sense that it's gold or silver or land or status. It's human beings. That's the gift he's given to the church. Like, that's a big deal. Like, every person here has been saved and called and gifted and Christ's power is in you and you're in Christ. All that's true. And now Christ is giving you, you're a gift to the church. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 
And so he's gonna start with leaders, but just because we're talking about leaders doesn't mean that everybody else checks out because what we're gonna see is that leaders and the rest of the church, the members, the understanding of that calling goes hand in hand. And so we're gonna start with leaders in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Okay, those are all leadership positions in the church. Two, equip the saints, that's everybody else, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So just maybe help you out a little bit. Um, that list of roles, leadership roles in the church, you can go to other places in the New Testament to get like a similar list. Um, if you go to Romans 12, you're going to get a list of gifts, not necessarily roles, but gifts. Teaching, evangelism, faith, healing, tongues, interpretation of tongues. If you go to 1 Corinthians 12, you'll get another list of gifts. Administration will be on that list. And then you'll also get to a place where in, in 1 Corinthians 12, where it describes these different leadership roles. But none of these lists exactly match one another there's a ton of overlap but they aren't exactly the same list so here's what that tells us Paul isn't giving us an exhaustive list and saying now go out and you got to fill all these roles what he's doing is he's offering this list up to us as an example of how Christ gives this gift this calling as a gift to some to lead in the church what does that look like well some will be apostles some will be prophets some will be evangelists some will be shepherds that's the word we translate into pastors and some will be teachers and the point of it all is that these who are given this gift are given to the church as a gift to do what to equip everybody else to do ministry and one of the things i love about the way god has designed church is there's no ceo in human form Christ is the head of the church. He's the CEO. So all of us who work under him then, we're under his authority. So the way that works at Solid Rock is that among our elders, we have eight elders. We have six active right now, two on sabbatical. We don't vote on anything. We work through collaboration to get to consensus. Why? Because whatever he's up to in Nick is what he's up to in me, what he's up to in Ken, what he's up to in Billy. And if I say, here's what God wants to do in church, and it conflicts with what you say God wants, then we're probably both wrong. We need to work a little harder. We need to wrestle with this. We need to dig in deeper. And what we find that as we work through consensus, we'll get to a place in unity. We go, oh, that's what God's up to. I didn't first see it. But now that I've met with you and I've heard you and you've heard me, now we all agree this is what God has for us. That we do that in other places too, lead staff. I don't come in as the CEO with lead staff or our executive team and say, guys, here's the marching orders. You go do this, you go do that. We come in, we, we collaborate. We work through it. We're honest about where we disagree. And the point isn't that anybody gets their way. What do we want? We just want to know what God's up to. That's way better than any ideas that I bring to the table or Nick brings to the table or Jordan brings to the table. Like we want to know, God, what are you up to? There is one God, one faith, one baptized, one Lord over all. He is through all and he is over all and through all and in all. He's weaving all this together and we want to know what he's up to. And so just because you've been called into leadership does not mean you've been called into the CEO position. 
We have a CEO. Turns out he's really good at what he does. His name is Jesus. And he hasn't hired you or invited you or called you because of your impressive resume. It's a gift of grace. Some of us have been called to lead. Some of us have not. But listen, we've all been gifted and we've all been called to serve. There are times in church life when the churches are small that oftentimes whoever the leader is is doing a lot of the ministry. That used to be the case here at Solid Rock. When it was just Larry and Billy and Ken and myself as elders, we were getting overwhelmed. We were like, we just felt so tired. And in one elder meeting, we went up to the dry erase board. I wrote down each elder's name. And I said, now tell me everything you're doing at the church. And just wrote it down. Wrote it down. Wrote it down. We looked at the board and said, well, that's why we're so tired. We haven't been called to do ministry. We've been called to equip the saints to do ministry. And over the next two years, one by one, we began to hand off and entrust those roles to other gifted and called people. It's not that there was a lack of willingness. Ken still shows up to mow the grass when it's needed to be done. I'm telling you, it's not a lack of will. Like Billy will still show up and weed flower beds if you need him to and ask him to. Like there's a willingness when, when, when things need to be done, there's a willingness to lean in, but there's a clear understanding of calling and role. That's not primarily what Ken has been called to do. He's been called to equip you to do ministry. And so Paul says, listen, when you look at leadership roles in the church, see those as gifts. They've been given to the church as a gift to equip everybody to get involved. Everybody has a calling. Next week, we'll dig in deeper. Everybody has a gifting. Like, here's what you've been called to do, and here's your resume, and you're like, how am I going to pull that off? And God's like, I'm going to fill up what's lacking. I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you gifts to pull this thing off so that when you pull it off, you won't get the glory. Just look at a couple of places here in 1 Corinthians 12 as we get ready to land. In 1 Corinthians 12, we'll, we'll press into this more next week, but just a few verses here. Verse 4 says that there are a variety of gifts, same spirit, variety of service, same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. In all this various activities and roles, whatever God is up to in one, he's up to in the other. See that? So let's talk for a minute about how you can discern and know what you're called to do. We're all called to serve, but what am I called to do? Am I called to be a leader? I don't know. Do this. If you're currently a church leader, I just want to, just for a minute, let's talk. And actually, I want to identify you. Um, If you are an elder or a pastor or a deacon or a deaconess, will you raise your hand? Everybody else is off the hook today. Just kind of look around, so let's kind of take inventory. These people have been called to lead, okay? So here's a word for us then, okay? Here's a word for us. Our calling, your calling to lead in the church is from God. It wasn't your impressive resume or what you brought to the table. It was a gift. It's beyond what I deserve. It's beyond what you deserve. It's beyond your strength and power. It's beyond my strength and power, okay? 
it is from God. Second thing is this. As you think about it as a gift of grace, your calling in to lead in the church is empowered by the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. If it doesn't feel like this a little bit, I'm, God's calling me to do things that are just beyond what I think I could pull off, you may be operating in your own strength, not in your calling. I don't think Paul ever lost sight of that. And then finally, I love that you want to serve, but let's not be ball hogs here. Your calling as a leader is to equip everybody else to do ministry. And at the end of the day, the way you know if you've done that is if this ball of, of, of getting others involved and equipment powers has been moved down the field further. And one of the things that we do in church, oftentimes even as leaders, is we become ball hogs. Like, I want to keep the ministry to myself. I love it. Like, that's fine, but that's not what you've been called to do. Right, the measure of whether or not we're operating in our calling leaders is has that ball been moved down the field in the sense that are more and more saints coming to understand their calling and their equipping to do ministry? Did you help a saint get involved in ministry today? Let's speak to maybe some others in the room. What does this mean for those who are called to lead but don't currently see themselves as ministry leaders? I think that's probably possible. I think that's more than likely true. There's some of you here today that God's called to lead, and this is maybe the first time you've ever stopped to go, huh, maybe that's what's going on inside of here. Just let me give some things to you so that may be helpful. When you go and you read in 1 Timothy 3 about the qualifications of a leader, it's there for you. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 is specifically for elders, then after that it's deacons, deaconesses. When you read those lists of qualifications, here's what you need to hear. That's what we're all aiming at. So this is not a matter of you looking at this list and going, no, nah, that's what I thought. They don't need me. Ah, it says that you gotta be a good steward of money and I'm not good with money, so I'm off the hook. I'll just sit here on the sidelines and right, I'll cheer you on. No, that is what Christ is doing in all of us. That's just a description of what it means to be mature in Christ, conformed to the image of Christ. Turns out that God wants every leader of the household to steward well his family. He wants us all to steward well our finances. He doesn't want any of us to be given to, to drunkenness or any other addictions. He's not saying, hey, if you're going to be a leader, you can't be quarrelsome, but all the rest of you just have at it. Go at each other. Permission to be vicious. Like when you read the qualifications, that's what Christ is up to in all of us and that's what he's working out in us, okay? So it's not just read the list and do, but here's the thing. If God is stirring that in you, here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. Have a conversation with a current leader, a pastor or an elder. Because those, that, those qualifications begins with this statement. If anyone desires to be an elder or an overseer, he desires a noble task. If God is stirring that in you, whether it's to be a community group leader or a team leader or some other church leadership position, he's stirring that in you, it's, no, it's a noble thing and stepping forward to say, hey, Nick, can we have lunch this week? Like, that's a noble thing. Like, hey, will you help me figure this thing out? Like, I don't know why, but I keep thinking about leading a community group. 
He's not gonna automatically sign you up. What he is gonna do is he's gonna look at Ephesians 4 and go, oh, my role is to equip you for ministry, so I'm gonna help you discern that. I'm gonna help you figure out specifically what God's calling you to do in the church. Here's a couple of indications. Let me hit this too. Those of you who've maybe taken a break from leading in ministry, you were at one time leading and you've taken a break, maybe just a busy season or maybe something bigger than that. You walked through something traumatic and you needed to take a break and step down. The gifts and the calling of God doesn't change. God doesn't change his mind and go, oh man, I thought you were gonna be so good at this. Oh, you messed it all up. No, he will call us to take a break, to take a sabbatical, into to respite time. He will call us to step away from ministry to let him work on us individually. And I had a season like that where my pastor, in a loving way, said to me, the 20-year-old version of me, hey, I think you need to step down for a while. And he didn't put a timestamp on it. And he was right. It was hard. But listen, reconciliation and restoration meant there was also a time to re-engage. So some of you may be in that boat today. One time I was more involved. I was actually involved in leadership. I've taken a break for the reasons. Listen, we want to have that conversation with you. Help you know what restoration looks like. What would it look like for you to step back into that calling? I'll end here and then I'll ask some questions. How do I know that I'm, maybe I'm in leadership and I'm not sure if I should be. A couple of surefire ways. Number one, is anybody following There are well-meaning people who love the idea of leading a ministry who just aren't called. That's okay. Nobody's following. Nobody's, nobody's being equipped. You turn and you look and go, I feel like I'm just kind of doing this on my own. Take a step back. Am I actually called to lead? Because if I'm not and I'm trying to lead, that means I'm blocking somebody else out. And here's a second way. And this is important. Please hear me on this. Do you find yourself consistently trying to lead in a direction that's different from the direction of the rest of the church? Doesn't make you a bad person. But whatever he's up to in you is what he's up to in me, and it's the same direction. Is anybody following? Is anybody being equipped for ministry? If not, yeah, take a step back. Do you find yourself continually bumping up against this wall of like, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, but the church is going this way? Might be time to step down. I think we've got people in this room right now, it's very likely, who are called to lead who aren't currently leading. And we potentially may have people in this room who are leading out of necessity, but God is now calling you to take a step back. This isn't about value or worth. It's simply about Jesus who calls. So I want to end with just some questions for us to think about, and maybe during this time, if you would just take a moment to reflect somehow God may be speaking to you today, uh, what he may be stirring up in you today. And then after that, I'm going to ask our worship team to come out like we always do. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward. I'm going to ask our, our elders and pastors to be out in the commons to answer questions. But all of that is really just a setup to be here for you in whatever way God is working and speaking to you, okay?
So I'll say that. I'm going to read the questions, pray, and then we'll respond. First of all is, is this, and this is really important. Are you aware of how God has gifted you for ministry? If you're still stuck at, I'm not sure if I'm called, go back to verse 7. Okay? We'll hit it again next week. So once we've passed that, okay, I'm called, but my question is, are you aware then of how God has gifted you in ministry and what he's calling you to? Because if not, we would love to have a conversation with you. I'll follow it up with this. Have you ever stopped to think that God may be calling you to lead? Maybe every other area of life you're seen as a leader. Work, your neighborhood, your home, but you've never stopped to consider or even ask the question, are you calling me to lead? Maybe maybe that's what God's saying to you today. Hey, just stop for a minute. Let's have this conversation. Are you currently pursuing the qualifications of a church leader even if you're not called to lead right now? That's what, that's what we're all aiming at. That's what God is up to in you and what he's up to in me. He's conforming us in the image of Christ. If you want to know what that godliness looks like in a practical way, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Have you been through a rough season or been disqualified to lead and feel like you blew it? I had a chance and I blew it. If so, we want to have a conversation with you. There's enough grace to even cover that. And then just lastly, if you are currently leading at Solid Rock as an elder, pastor, staff member, deacon, deaconess, I I just end with these questions. Are you leading out of your calling from God? Do you see your calling as a gift of God's grace? Are you leaning into the power that he provides to fill up what is lacking? And do you see that your primary gift to the church is to equip other saints to do ministry? That's that's what you've been called to do. Let's pray together and uh, let's see what God is up to. Maybe he's stirring something in you today. I've already kind of shared with you how we're going to respond, so I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to come back out. Let's do that. Father, thank you for your word today. Um, God, what a humble thing to think that the God of the universe, the one who created all things and who holds all things together, also invites us to participate in that magnificent work. It's just, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing, God, to think that you and your power would choose us in our lack of power. You and all of your wisdom would choose us who have very little wisdom. Would, Would choose us to participate in the things you're doing. And when we think of it that way, God, it is truly a gift of grace. I just can't help but think, God, there's some here today who needed clarity on this and that you've already been speaking and stirring even before they got here today. And maybe today through your word and through your spirit, God, you're bringing clarity on this idea of calling. 
And Father, I'm praying now, not just over this day, like today, but even next week as we keep digging into this. And Father, you would do a collective work here at Solid Rock. We, we confess we have not become everything you've called us to be. So would you use our time together in conversations like this to conform us as a church more and more into the image of Christ. That as we go out into the community to live the mission in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and our family, God, even later today, that we could look as a church more like Christ to the world around us. Father, we're asking that you would do this powerful work in us. In Jesus' name.